Good afternoon. And on this uh, beautiful afternoon, uh, we welcome, of course, all our guests and visitors. And, um, you know, uh, also on this 27th Sunday, in ordinary time, it's also the Feast of Our Lady of Rosary. And that feast was established in honor of the Battle of Lepanto in the year 1571. At that time, Don Juan of Austria, with the uh, other leaders of Europe, defeated uh, the Ottoman Empire that was about to invade all of Europe. And what a change in history that would have been if that happened. And, uh, you know, just for, for those who are history buffs, but uh, one of the people who fought in that battle was Miguel Cervantes. And Cervantes, you know, wrote the first novel, uh, Don Quixote. And so I don't know if you, some of you have read that, but it's very beautiful and uh, a lot of wisdom in it. And also, for history buffs, uh, uh, Cervantes lost his right hand in that battle. He was wounded in that battle, spent most of his life in poverty. Today, uh, uh, this Mass, and for the next uh, five or six Masses, our second reading will be the Epistle to the Hebrews. It's probably one of the epistles that's not read very often because it's sort of difficult. It has a lot of symbolism of it in it. And the reason for that, <clears throat> this epistle was addressed to the, the Jewish community who had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, the Christian Jewish community. And the purpose of the epistle was to remind them that the New Testament, the new law, Christ, was the fulfillment of the old law. Not a destruction of it, but a fulfillment. And you'll notice that Matthew's gospel also is addressed to the Semitic community. So if you read Matthew's gospel and Hebrews, it's sort of they complement one another. So if you have never read the epistle of Hebrews, maybe you might want to do that over the next few weeks. And remember that it gives a beautiful description of Christ the high priest, the one mediator, he who sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for each one of us. And it gives us a better understanding of the Eucharist. So I'd suggest, uh, even though it's a little difficult uh, to read prayerfully the epistle to the Hebrews. Now, the readings today and the Mass today is, is all about the wonder of married life. So, Let's start today with our first reading. By the way, uh, this reading of Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, was one of the last books to be composed 
in the Old Testament. It was uh, uh, written, we think, in Alexandria, very late, maybe the last book written, and yet it's always put as the first book of the New Testament. And it is uh, also a book made up of oral traditions. And some authors put three levels of oral traditions, some two. And what we read uh, today is the oldest tradition uh, that they kept in their memories. And so we read that uh, God placed uh, man in a garden. And uh, he looked at man, whom he made to his image and likeness, and he then brought before man, because he did not want man to be alone, uh, he brought forth the various animals to be named. Now, in Old Testament scholarship, naming was very important, because naming was ownership. So when man named the various animals and creatures that came before him, then they were his dominion. There was peace in the garden. There was unity. There was uh, tranquility. Everything complemented everything else. That's what God intended for all of us in the beginning. But then God looked at him and said, this doesn't seem to be a very suitable creature for man. And remember, now, when he created man, he breathed into dust his own breath, God's breath, into man. And he called him Adam because it comes from the, the Hebrew word Adama, meaning clay. Man was made in dust. We're reminded of that uh, and when we begin the season of Lent. Remember your dust, to dust you shall become. The creatureness of man. Man is a creature. God is transcendent. Now, he looked at him. He said, he's all alone. You know, something like, uh, I don't know if you read that beautiful story, The Shelf Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde. And here was the giant in this great and beautiful garden, but he's alone. And he was very selfish. And he was very mean. He's, he ran all the children out of the garden. Well, I suppose that's what man was like, all alone. And so God put him in a deep sleep, and out of his rib he formed woman. And what was the expression that he used? Now, this one, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
In that sentence, we have the most powerful psychological and spiritual understanding of man and woman. That in that sentence, we under, begin to understand the powerful and primordial attraction physically, emotionally, sexually of man and woman. In that one sentence, to be meditated upon and contemplated. And then we come to Jesus. In a, a very difficult situation. Here are these Pharisees. They come to him, don't they? They want to trick him. This was Judea country. This was Herod's country. And Herod just put John the Baptist to death because he challenged the union that Herod had with Herodias. And one other thing. Do you think there was no divorce at that time? There was lots of divorce. Write a paper, dismiss your wife. Very simple. Not much for lawyers today, but very simple at that time. And so what did Jesus do? He went right back to the heart of it. And he said, no, you can't do that. They're one flesh. And what God has put together, man must never divide. The unity of man and woman. Now, what does this unity mean? It meant equality. When he took God formed out of the rib of Adam, woman, then there was equality of nature. What does this mean? That they lived now, and man did not live alone, but he lived in community. Community. He had to have someone to love him. And he had to have someone that he could love in the most intimate way. That there could be a you and I relationship. And then what, what else happened? Respect. Dignity. Made to the image and likeness of God. And more than that, benevolence. That's a word we never hear much of today in our rhetoric, our uh, terrible language today. The beautiful word, benevolence. That is, man now had someone who would care for him, to love him, just for him. And man now had someone that he could love and give his life to just for that person, that woman, Eve. And that's the beauty of marriage, that you have someone that loves you. 
You know, I think that's the greatest of all gifts that God can give to any human being. That no matter how poor you may be or how lacking in personality or whatever, or how brilliant you may be or whatever, that you can say, someone loves me. What a gift. What a blessing. And then, if that were not enough, in that love, in that union of becoming one flesh, then man would be given the gift of participating in the life of God himself. Life. As God breathed in life, so man and woman cooperating in the creative power and genius of God bring forth life. Life into this world. A child. Can you imagine the, the wonder, the love, when the father holds his firstborn in his arms, so tiny, so frail, so dependent, and woman gives birth. What a beautiful, wonderful thing married life is. But it's not easy. You know, the day that you came up to the altar, full of joy, full of happiness, beauty, filled with infatuation, physical love and pleasure. Well, probably one day, one of you walked into the room, and you might have seen this fellow sitting in a chair before TV, watching football, with a can of beer, going to a little bit of fat. And you probably looked, went back in the other room and said, what in the world did I get myself into? You know? Or probably one of you men came in your, you know, got up early in the morning and went into the kitchen. Here's this bedraggled, worn out, maybe a cup of coffee, and you say, well, this is it, you know? I didn't know it. That's when married life begins. That's when love begins, real love. That's why married life can't be separated from the cross. Can't, because married life is the total giving of self to another. The minute one or the other becomes selfish, then marriage becomes very difficult. That married life is sacrificial. Married life is living the, the love of Jesus on the cross. 
It's a constant dying to self, and it's hard work. It's not easy. Because you're in the presence of a mystery of another person. That's why the church always urges and asks that weddings be made at the Eucharist because that's the continuation of the sacrifice that you are to live the rest of your life in marriage. And marriage is a school for eternity. Marriage, uh, the whole life of marriage, living, dying, loving, suffering, giving, enjoying, watching children grow, all of that is just a little tiny idea of what God has prepared for all of us from all eternity. Marriage is the beginning of heaven. But it can't be lived selfishly. It can't be lived this way. You do this and I'll do that. If you don't do this, I won't do that. Then that's destructive. That's unhappiness. That's not what God intended. God intended you to be happy here and to be happy hereafter. God bless you.